Hello, everybody. Welcome to our latest edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastog. Now, again, like I said, on our post-game pod, uh, our schedule's a little bit different this week, so we'll have this pod for you. going to be a little bit shorter. And then tomorrow on Wednesday, you're going to have the preview pod that'll show up later in the evening uh, and get you through Thursday for the game day. And then we'll come back. We might not have a traditional post-game pod, but we will come back on Friday at some point and record a pod after the Jets game all about what we think could be a clinching game for the Browns if they win. Uh, so we'll kind of update all of that as we go. So just make sure you're subscribed to this feed, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Search Orange and Brown Talk, and those will drop on your phone as soon as I hit publish on them. Let's get to it. The news today, Mary Kay, and we always love kicker news, but it speaks to Dustin to how good Dustin Hopkins has been this year, that this is really significant. Kevin Stefanski officially ruled him out on Tuesday, so called him week to week, which is never great when you hear week to week, especially when you're going into the playoffs. Um, the fact that Kevin did just rule him out too, that's kind of like, you know, Kevin isn't usually quick to do that stuff. So... A little bit of concern here for Dustin Hopkins dealing with that hamstring injury. It is his plant leg, not his kicking leg, but dealing with that hamstring injury that he hurt uh, chasing down Damian Pierce on that kickoff return. Yeah, and you know, since it's such a short week, I don't think that Kevin had a whole lot of time to mess around with trying to keep the Jets guessing or anything like that. Today was the only availability that we had with him. They had the kicker down at the stadium trying to uh, see if he can figure out, uh, you know, wind patterns and whatnot. That's Riley Patterson, uh, who they signed to the practice squad. But, um, yeah, this is this is a big loss. I mean, uh, I wrote a column two weeks ago saying there's no way in heck they'd be 8-5 and five without Dustin Hopkins, and I firmly believe that. There's no way right now that they would be 10-5 and five without him and, be, and getting ready to clinch a playoff berth on Thursday night. Uh, he has kicked four game-winning field goals this season. He's 8 for 8 from 50-plus, which I still find so remarkable. That's tied for the NFL lead. He also holds the NFL lead with 33 field goals this season, and that's also the most in Brown's history. I mean, he's just been phenomenal, and I maintain that they probably would have, I would say, maybe three fewer victories if not for Dustin Hopkins because in in addition to his game winners, he also kicked – Uh, four field goals in that 39-38 victory over the Colts, including three of his 50 yarders. I mean, it's just mind-boggling what he has accomplished this season. What an incredible save uh, to have to part ways with Cade York, to bring this guy in, and to have him have just an unbelievable career season. Yeah, the... The record without him is really interesting because one of the things he did is he really allowed the Browns to play a different style of football before Joe Flacco got here. So when you're dealing with P.J. Walker and DTR, you don't want to go for it as much on fourth down. You're more willing to kick those 50-yard field goals. And look, you didn't want to run Cade York out there for important kicks. We talked about it all summer. Like, are you completely comfortable with him being your guy in in a playoff chase? And I don't know how you could have been. And then he has the preseason he had, and it just became abundantly clear they had to move on. Um, so I don't know. If, if we're going through a list of team MVPs here, Ashley, Dustin is on the short list of candidates. He is. I mean, he has been that important in those clutch scenarios. I mean, I do think, like, we talk about all the time, like, what could the breaking point be for this team with injuries? And, like, I do think Dustin Hopkins could be the final straw if he has to miss a significant amount of time just because of what you were saying, Dan. Like, 
he changed the way they were able to play. And I think in playoffs in general, in general in the NFL, I mean, I think we've seen a trend where these a lot of these games are closer now. They just are. In the playoffs, I think that's especially true. So every kick matters. Every chance to get points on the board matters. And you're not going to be able to make a long, deep playoff run by playing the way they had to against the Texans, right? Like, and, and not kicking at all, essentially. Like, it is a very important part of your game, especially the later you get into the season and once you get into the postseason. Yeah, Mary-Kate, with Dustin, because of all those reasons you said, when you think ahead, and right now it's still more likely that the Browns are going to have to go win a bunch of road games in the playoffs than anything. Obviously, they're still alive in the division, uh, but Baltimore can clinch the North with a win this week or, or a Browns loss. Um, but the most likely scenario would be a Baltimore win. So they're still alive for all that stuff, but right now it's most likely that they're going to have to go win some road games. So when you think about, I need a guy that can go to Arrowhead and make a kick in a really tough place to kick, or I need a guy who can go to Buffalo Maybe, or maybe Buffalo would come here. I don't know. But even if you have to kick here in January, it's hard. I need a guy who might need to go out and make a game winning or game tying or some some kind of kick, a kick to make it a 10 point game instead of an eight, a seven point game, right? Like I need that guy. And you knew Dustin Hopkins was that guy, like you trusted him. And now look, Riley Patterson's been good, but you're just not going to have that inherent trust in him right now. No, not at all. And the thing is, kind of like you mentioned, you didn't have to worry about your kicker. I mean, you just did not have to worry about this guy. You knew that he was going to step up there and boom, pretty much whatever he had to. And it was just something they were able to take off of their plate and not give it a second thought. Kickoffs, everything, you name it. I mean, he had it completely nailed for them. And now, I mean, the reason why Riley Patterson is no longer uh, with the Lions is because he missed two extra points in his previous three games, and they were done. I mean, that, that was it. When you get to this point in, in playoff-clinching football, nobody has any time for a kicker that's going to step up there and miss extra points. I mean, you just can't do it. So, you know, he's going to have to come here and, and, and get that turned around and fill a very big pair of shoes left behind by Dustin Hopkins. So there's another injury that we have to talk about, and that is Corey Bohorquez. Uh, we don't know his status yet for Thursday while we're recording this here. It's 540 on Tuesday. Uh, so we don't know his status yet. Kevin Stefanski basically said, we'll see. Um, so he didn't rule him out. But they did sign what, Matt Hawk. That's mm-hmm. his name, Hawk. Matt Hawk, Hawk, the Hawk to the practice squad mm-hmm. as their punter. So he could potentially be in there. And again, Corey hasn't gotten the run necessarily that Dustin has. Because, look, a, a punter just doesn't get that kind of attention. Um, a punter doesn't score points. But we sit in that press box. We watch these kicks. And it changes the game when a defense thinks, like, okay, we've got the field position flipped. And then Corey Bohorquez goes out there and punts a 70-yarder that just dies at the 10-yard line or something. This is a this would be a significant loss too, Ashley. And this is Corey's punting leg. He's a lefty, so it is his left leg. Kevin likes his guys to be a weapon. He wants his punters to be a weapon. He said that over and over again, and Corey defines that. Yeah, I mean, he's helped them, you know, get 
it seems like at every turn the field position that is going to be required. And I mean, he's been a huge part of why I think the defense was able to dominate from such an early point because of how many punts he was placing inside of the 20 or booting like 70 plus yarders when they needed him to. And especially that period when they're trying to navigate the schedule with DTR and PJ Walker at you know in the midway point of the season I mean I think again is I joked with you last week Dan like we basically asked Bubba Ventrone the same question a, a different version of the same question every Thursday when he talks and it's like what's made Corey Borka so good and, and I do think a lot of that is the fact that he is a punter and it's like it's, it's harder to evaluate the position than obviously a lot of other positions but there's no doubt that he's an underrated part of this team. And what we talked about in our video, too, it's this fact that operationally on your special teams now, there's just so many more questions without him. Because Corey's your holder on kicks, and we saw them down in Houston on the sideline practicing when Corey was doing some warm-up kicks after Dustin got hurt, and they had DTR holding. And, of course, DTR went on IR today, which <laughs> I'm sure we're going to talk about. But that is, like okay, who's even going to hold at this point is my question. We don't know the answers to some of those really basic things. So Charlie Hewlett's going to have his hands full, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's usually the punter, right? Because the punter is, you you just can't practice holding if you aren't a specialist. Like, they're not going to take practice time away from one of their quarterbacks to practice holding. Those those days are gone. Um, So it is usually the punter. So it would probably be Hawk, but... He hasn't done it before with this group, with Charlie Hewlett, with this kicker, that operation changes. And and that's, again, those are those little things you don't think about. But, you know, we remember the the Dallas game with Tony Romo, right? Had the bad snap and like and Romo was the holder in that game, the quarterback. But we remember, we've seen bad snaps. We've seen what that can do. You're lining up for a game-winning kick. A guy can't get the snap and get it down in time. It, the kick goes wide, whatever it is. It is all those little things too, Mary Kay. Yeah, there are all of those little things, and we are heading into bad weather. I mean, we are really heading into the time of year when that whole sequence has to be flawless, basically. And that is hard to do when when you don't understand the conditions down at Cleveland Brown Stadium, which a lot of people consider to be, if not the toughest place to kick in the NFL, then certainly one of them with the unpredictable winds and with the changing weather and all of the different things that you have there. So, you know, that's another thing. It's not like this kicker, Riley Patterson, is coming in in September to kick against the Bengals in the opener. No, 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 no. Uh, He is catching the Browns at the worst possible time of year from a weather standpoint. Now, I haven't looked at the weather yet for Thursday night, um, but um, I'm sure, if nothing else, there's probably some kind of a chance for, uh, you know, some wind, some pre- some precipitation at this time of year. So, um, so that, you know, that could obviously be a factor. And it's just so bizarre. Oh, I'm looking at the weather forecast right now. Uh, by the like evening. Like 40s and rainy. Right? Yeah, yeah, it could be raining, you know. And, and we've all seen before. Uh, when it's kind of cold down there and it's raining, that can impact the game, especially, uh, obviously, the passing game and the kicking game. You know, So that could be a big deal. I mean, if, if that's a, a wet ball that uh, the whole sequence has to deal with and it's the cold, hard, wet ball, then uh, you know, that just makes it that much tougher. 
Okay, we just went way in the weeds. Like I said in the video, <laughs> we just went say. deep into the weeds on special teams. You don't get this what other on other Browns podcasts. Brown is going to talk about the operation and the holding on kicks in relation <laughs> to their punter. You think the guys at the ringer are talking about <laughs> Browns holders? No, that's why you want to listen to the local everyday podcast <laughs> like this. All right, let's take a break and let's talk about another guy uh, that Ashley mentioned on the other side here. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Mary Kate Cabot, Ashley Bastock. So Ashley mentioned it when we were talking about holding. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, uh, the backup quarterback now. We saw him in the locker room. He was on a crutch. And then Kevin Stefanski informed us after that uh, he's out for the – well, is he out for the season? I guess we don't know for sure if he's out for the season. But he is on IR. Um, he's on IR, so at least four games. Probably done. It is a hip injury. Look, this isn't like – this is more of like just the compounding injuries. Like it just feels like, oh God, here's another one. But that being said, DTR was the backup quarterback and Kevin kind of knew what he could do with him and what he could trust him to do. And he was getting used in various packages, including uh, a lot of times if the Browns went for two. Yes, he did um, some very nice spot duty over the past couple of weeks. And again, Kevin had elevated him over PJ Walker as the number two quarterback. So that's pretty significant these days, as we know that, um, you know, you have to have a good quality backup, especially one of the reasons why this is important right now is because the Browns are down to their fourth and fifth offensive tackles. And, uh, and, you know, Joel's kind of out there playing with some back issues and uh, Ethan is overcoming a, a stinger. So there are some health issues on the offensive line. And Joe, although he has established himself as moving much better than anybody thought he would, okay, he's like slipping away from trouble uh, and he's getting rid of the ball quickly and doing those kinds of things, but you're still going to get hit. You're still going to, at some point, you're going to get hit. And we do know that he already suffered some kind of a calf injury. So, you know, once again, PJ Walker now is one play away from stepping into the game and having to carry this team for however long if for some reason Joe goes down. So, you know, they're, they're going to have to hope that that doesn't happen because Joe has been tremendous. Joe is one of the hottest quarterbacks in the NFL since week 13. I mean, he's just amazing. He's got 1,307 yards since week 13. He is tied for the NFL lead with 10 touchdown passes since week 13. And there's just a whole host of other things that he's done. We know that he's had three straight 300-yard games. I mean, it's just been absolutely phenomenal. So they have to hope that, um, you know, that they can keep him healthy and upright uh, because the thing that you were getting from P.J. Walker and from Dorian Thompson-Robinson were too many interceptions. I will say Joe's throwing too many interceptions as well. They're being overlooked, and some of them are not his fault. Okay, we will readily admit that some of them are absolutely not his fault. One was a like Hail Mary type of thing. Yeah, it was the one, speaking of a kicking situation, yeah. it was that situation Sunday where they would have kicked a field goal with Dustin Hopkins, but right. they just let Joe, he just took a shot to Amari in that one. Right. So, you know, the coach kind of put him, uh, you know, in that position. But he threw, a, he threw an interception uh, down the left sideline to Marquise Goodwin, and even won a game is too many. But he has seven right now. And, you know, that's, that's too many interceptions from him, too. In fact, the Browns lead the NFL with 20 interceptions thrown by their quarterbacks. And they also lead the NFL 
with 32 giveaways. And that kind of thing uh, has got to stop because you're not going to always be able to overcome that. So I kind of want my quarterback to throw interceptions a little bit, but not like, you know, oh, I threw it over the middle and didn't see the linebacker interceptions. I want to see him be aggressive. And then maybe you throw an interception every two or three games, right? But yeah, one a game is way too many. Um, Joe has turned the ball over probably too much, but because of what he brings to that downfield passing game, you live with it because you just didn't have this with DTR. And that's kind of the thing. Like this team would not be 10 and five if DTR were the starting quarterback. I mean, he, he wasn't getting the ball down the field. I think that's part of why they went to PJ initially. Cause at least he just had some moments where he's like, forget it. I'm going to throw to number two way down the field. Whether he got it, there was a different story, but you know, it, you lose that with DTR and I don't know, I guess like if they lose Joe Flacco, they're in trouble anyway. But at least with DTR, you knew what you were getting, and you kind of knew what the offense would look like. I don't know. This is this is an unfortunate injury, um, and I, I don't know. I don't know what the Browns do here at backup quarterback. If it's still PJ, if they bring somebody off the street for the playoffs, or you, you would like a guy that you really trust in that position. I don't know if the, the Browns have that now. I don't know if they did when DTR was the backup, but they definitely don't have it now. Yeah, and it's tough. I mean, to go back to the Joe thing, I think to Mary Kay's point about a lot of it, the interceptions may be getting overlooked right now. I think that's happening because what he's done has been so amazing. <laughs> Otherwise, he's thrown for more than 300 yards in the last three games and more than 250 in the one before those three. So I think that's part of the reason like, why people are just like, it's Flacco fever, and we're ignoring that. That could, you know, very much, this has been one of the Browns, maybe the Achilles heel for them all year is this turning the ball over. And it's gone throughout the quarterback room. Like you said, I mean, it was obviously a problem for PJ too. And they haven't found a way to solve it yet. So to not to sound too grim or anything, but I don't know that I'm 100% confident that they are going to find magically just like find a solution to this because I think right now it's like, what, what exactly is the solution? Like you said, pulling somebody in off the street. I don't know. And is that, I mean, it's worked before, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's tough. I don't know. But like you said, I mean, I think with Joe, you, you kind of have to take that risk because he's that gunslinger, right? Although Kevin pushed back on him being a gunslinger. Yeah, okay. I was surprised that? by that. What do you think of that? I do think, no, I think he's, he's not a gunslinger uh, in the, in the vein of not like Brett Favre, Favre, yeah. right. Where you're just going to like really throw it up there and take some wild and crazy chances, right. Where you're just, you think that you can make every deep ball that you see out there. Uh, Joe is a much more controlled gunslinger, but what I mean by that is he's just going to let it rip. And that's what I mean by, by gunslinger. And even when he is fall, getting dragged down by three defenders, he's going to whip that ball. Yeah. And, and he's gonna, he can throw it all the way across the field, across his body. And that's kind of what I mean by the gunslinger. So I am going to stand by that. I think yeah. he's a version of a gunslinger. I like for me, it's that he's a gunslinger in part now, especially because he is Mari Cooper. Like when we talk about, you know, like the way Brett Favre played, use that as an example and some of the crazy throws he would make. Joe's making crazy throws like that when they're the two. And like it makes sense because Amari's coming down with that ball a lot of the time. So I agree with Mary Kay. I'm standing by the gunslinger description. I, I do too. Clean sweep. <laughs> to me, to me, a gunslinger is in part a guy that is gonna throw some interceptions because he knows he's going to be aggressive and turn the ball over, and he's not going to care. And you look at Joe Flacco through his career. Uh, I mean, 
He had double-digit interceptions every year of his career through 2017, including a year with 22 of them. That was that's obviously a, not a great year. A lot. I mean, that is too many. That's, yeah, that is too many. But And Kevin hates interceptions. Right. Uh, so I think, you know, of course, right now with Joe, you, you are going to have to take a little bit of that with all of the good. Um, but usually the best, best quarterbacks in the NFL, especially the ones that end up playing for like the Kevin Stefanski's and the Kyle Shanahan's, I mean, you see it all the time. They've got 27 touchdown passes and seven interceptions, right? right? I mean, that's, that's not the model. Yeah, and that's not Joe Flacco, though, either. Joe Flacco's not a guy that's just going to sit there and, like, I'm just going to throw to the open guy five yards away. So, I mean, yeah, pretty much every year in Baltimore until Lamar took over, he was between 12 and 15 interceptions a season. um, And a two-point, his his interception rate, aside from that one year, was usually in the 2 to 3% range. Now, this year he's a 4 a four, it's like seven interceptions in four games is a lot of interceptions. And some of that is like like with Cedric Tillman, right? right. They haven't been on the same page on yeah. a couple. So like you were saying, Mary Kay, not all interceptions are are created equal. But it's also why I wonder, like, is this thing going to end? Like the Browns get to the AFC divisional round. Is this going to end like the cardiac kids? Like, is, is are they going to finally have that back-breaking turnover that just ends – like this dream magical season. Well, you saw what the San Francisco, what the Baltimore Ravens did to the 49ers and Brock Purdy yesterday, right? So when you start running into some of these really, really amazing defenses, you know, you're going to get some of that and you're, you might not get away with it. So I do think that there is going to have to be an effort in some cases to be a little bit more careful. Now, they didn't have to be careful against the Texans. They just didn't have to be because they knew that they could outscore them in a big way. They, they knew that. They knew they were going to outscore Case Keenum and that offense without Tank Dell and without, you know, some of their other players. Uh, but when they started losing their pass rushers, I even saw, did you see D'Amico Ryan's quote after the game about Joe? He was like, he had all day to throw. I mean, we <laughs> yeah. just let him. We just let him stand back there and, and throw. Like, Although one of his I mean, throws to Amari, he did get away from a sack. But yes. yeah, I mean, he did have. I mean, yeah. we talked about it after the game, but like they were the, the Browns in that one were already an advantage because they had no Will Anderson coming in, and then Jonathan Grenard gets hurt on the very first <laughs> drive, and they lose two of their top DBs at on like the same drive. So yeah. I mean, it's like no wonder he had all day to throw. But yeah. that's what makes like to me the Jets game so interesting because even though the Jets are bad and have all this turmoil going on that defense and those DBs are like three of the best DBs in the league right now. So it's like how much risk can you take going against, you know, when Sauce Gardner's the guy back there, it's a bit different. Yeah, and that's sort of the gunslinger thing too, Mary. Like you go back to those throws to Amari Cooper, right? That's that gunslinger mentality. Maybe it's not the long throws, but like the ones – I'm going to make this throw down the sideline, and it's a little bit dangerous, but I'm going to trust my guy to make a play for me. And against Houston, it worked. And sometimes the guy jumps a route, and it turns into something that you didn't want it to turn into. So, yeah, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't get the not a gunslinger thing. I know. And you know what? I think what we have established here on the Orange and Brown Talk Pod is that we are smarter than Kevin Stefanski. I also think we're all pro-gunslinger, too, right? (laughs) Yeah, we are. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see the approach because they've been very aggressive with Joe Flacco, very aggressive with that arm, and they basically just said, let it rip. And now, uh, as, as you guys have pointed out, 
that, you know, now you're going up against a defense where you're going to have some really, really good defensive backs. Can you afford to be that aggressive? Well, I think you can. I think you can because, uh, because you're also going up against Trevor Simeon. And once again, I think you know that you're going to be able to outscore them and that you're also going to be able to rely on your defense to bail you out when you get an interception, unless, of course, it's a pick six. But, um, but for the most part, I think that they will be extremely aggressive once again and keep that going throughout the playoffs. No, I'm going to present one more piece of gunslinger evidence here. And this isn't every gunslinger, but if a guy has stats like this, he's a gunslinger. When your completion percentage is 59.4%, but you're still averaging, i got to find it here, still averaging 326.8 yards per game. You're a gunslinger. Yeah, and over 10-something per pass. Yeah, you're a gunslinger. You're a gunslinger. We rest our case. Three and a half games, (laughs) you've taken over the the lead for passing yards in a season. You guys should have backed me up in the press conference. You should have just spoken up and said, Kevin... We think you're wrong. Listen, Kevin, should we're, we say, we're the wordsmiths. I, would, I should have followed up and said, but Kevin, what about the final 82 seconds against the Jets last year? Was he a gunslinger then? Because right. it sure looked like it. Yeah, right. exactly. All right. Well, there we go. A little argument with Kevin. A little sub-podcasting of Kevin Stefanski here. Uh, I know he listens to podcasts. Maybe he listens to ours. Maybe. Oh, my God. We'll see. We'll that would see. be so fun. He'll push back in the post game. Listen, I heard what you guys said about me and calling Joe not a gunslinger. Maybe we can ask Joe if he's a gunslinger. Ooh, that's a good one. That's good Although too. he's a little bit, uh, just a little bit vanilla at times, <laughs> like Kevin can be. So I don't know if he would answer that or not. We'd have to ask maybe some other people. Maybe we were just in Houston too long. Maybe. Maybe that's part of the problem. All right. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, like I said off the top, make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Find us on Instagram. Search Orange and Brown Talk. Find us on YouTube. Search Cleveland Browns on Cleveland.com. And become a football insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns. The blue banner at the top of the page. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. We are all wannabe gunslingers. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone.